1: This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and thank you for joining our program here this morning on a beautiful morning four days before Christmas. And Merry Christmas to everybody out here. This is WNDZ, AM 750, and I'll give a... Phone call, a uh, phone number here if people want to call with questions about various guests, but we have a lot of them this morning. That number is 312-255-8408. We have a very interesting show this morning, a lot going on, and uh, we have four guests, so let's uh, plow through the lineup here real fast and get to our first guest. Um, who will be uh, Greg Schuppenbach. He is the associate director for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, USCCB in Washington. He's the uh, associate director for pro-life activities. He's going to be talking with us here this morning about a very interesting topic on vaccines and what's going on with the uh, coronavirus vaccines issued by uh, the produced last week by Moderna and Pfizer uh, about the moral implications of those vaccines. Um, We're going to switch to uh, talking to Kevin Grillo about uh, the exciting March for Life coming up here in Chicago and throughout the Midwest. Uh, He's going to join us at about uh, 8.15 or so. And then we're going to switch gears and go down south in southern Illinois and talk to a gentleman who's 27 years old who has just issued the uh, Cardinal Bernadine Award for the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. He's going to talk to us about why he was received that award, and then we'll close out the show um, with an interesting conversation and discussion with Glenn Van Cura. He has been the director of Catholic Charities for well, probably about 10 years, and unfortunately Glenn is leaving us, and he's going to provide some reflections on his uh, time, his tenure as director, and he's going off to uh, teach in Korea, which is very interesting. So we'll be talking to Glenn at the close of the show, and then um, we'll all sing Christmas tunes. Well, no, Mike does not want to sing Christmas tunes. All right. So without further ado, let's bring in our first guest. Uh, Our first guest is Greg Schuppenbach, as I indicated. He is with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and he's always busy, but he's been busier than normal with uh, doing a lot of work on the implications of the vaccines that have been recently uh, produced and announced. Greg, are you with us?
2: I am with you. Hey, good, good morning.
1: Good morning. We, we, we we've talked so uh, rarely these days. It seems like uh, you are the, uh, the a popular guy these days with uh, a lot of us here <laughs> trying to figure out what to tell people about the uh, Moderna and uh, the Pfizer vaccines. Greg, um, I, 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 let's just kind of start. I, there's so much coming out about this topic Um the vaccines are out there. There's two that have been approved. Uh, we saw late Friday, early Saturday, Moderna's vaccine get approved, and Pfizer's was earlier in the week. And, and I know that many people are asking questions because there's a lot of information out there about how these vaccines were produced um, or they were tested. And the concern amongst many is they were used, uh, some of those vaccines, had uh, aborted st- cell lines from years ago, and so some people are saying not to take it. Some people are asking concerns. What, what, what is the message as of right now on the moral implications of these vaccines?
2: Well, I, it's you know, this is such a complicated uh, topic, Bob, and it's important for people to have the facts. And, and And starting with, I think, you know, sort of talking about what is not in these vaccines. There are no fetal cells. There's no fetal tissue in these vaccines. Uh, What we're talking about here is the use of what's called a cell line or culture to produce or test vaccines. And that cell line or culture was produced, uh, there's several of them that were produced decades ago from tissue of abortion. So they were immorally produced. Uh, It is immoral to use tissue from uh, an uh, an induced abortion and and harvest that and use it in in medical research because it doesn't show proper respect for the the body of of this human being. And it it also can be seen as scandal in terms of, uh, you know, a promotion of or acquiescence to or legitimizing abortion. So these cell lines do have, uh, that are used in some of the vaccines, have a, an immoral connection to abortion. And, and those who produced it, you know, are most responsible for that. So, but it's in, in I'd say over the last uh, 20 years or so, I mean, going back to about, maybe not quite, about 15 years ago, 2005 is when the Vatican first addressed, or the Holy See addressed this connection between These uh, uh, abortion-derived cell lines and vaccines, and said that you know, yes, there's from the perspective of the researcher, from the perspective of the scientists, and those who are producing these vaccines and are using these cell lines, their their culpability, their cooperation with immorality, is is it's there. It's and it is a a real cooperation. But the the Holy See also spoke to the end user, the average Mm -hmm. patient, patient. Um, who uses a vaccine and said that their, their degree of cooperation with that original abortion and, it's, and, it's, and it's, the cells being used to create a cell line is so remote that under certain circumstances, and, and, and a couple of those are, if there is a serious health risk by not being vaccinated and there is no ethical alternative, then, in those under those circumstances, a, a patient, an individual, can uh, use that vaccine that has this connection to uh, an aborted fetal cell line. So, um, again, that, this is it's, it's important to understand these nuances and connections. So, ultimately, in the case of uh, a number of vaccines that have been produced in the past, like rubella and chickenpox and others that you know are produced on an ongoing basis in these aborted you know, fetal cell lines, the, the Church has said, under certain circumstances, as I just laid out, they can be morally used. But the other thing that the Vatican said very clearly um, in that statement was that those of us who use those vaccines under those circumstances um, have a duty to protest the use of these cell lines and to push the pharmaceutical industry away from using them um, and to use uh, ethical alternatives where they exist. There are a number of vaccines Long-standing vaccines that are produced unethically in these aborted fetal cell lines. And there are some uh, alternates that are not produced in these aborted fetal cell lines. So where there are ethical alternatives, we have some obligation to use. We do have an obligation to use those ethical versions to, to push our, our, our uh, physicians and hospitals and other places that buy these vaccines to buy the ones and use the ones and distribute the ones that aren't uh, don't have this unethical connection to abortion where those alternatives exist. So there's a number of duties, a number of considerations. But for the end user, uh, and this applies in the COVID in, in, with the COVID vaccines as well. You know, even if there is some connection to these aborted fetal cell lines, either you know through testing or through uh, ultimately if they are produced in these aborted fetal cell lines, which some of them, like AstraZeneca and uh, uh, Janssen and some others that are not yet approved would actually be producing them in these aborted fetal cell lines. That even in those circumstances, if there's no alternative um, because of the serious health risks involved, that those vaccines can be morally uh, utilized.
1: One of the things that um, I hope comes out of this is further understanding that some vaccines that we have grown up taking. Um, have as their origins as you indicated uh, been produced by using illicit means um, aborted relationship to abortion. Um, you know I honestly you know it wasn't I think I I didn't know even that Robella had this same, Uh, moral challenge until, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't think many people out there know that. And so perhaps with this so highly, uh, there's so much focused on the coronavirus vaccine that maybe one of the good things that will come out of this is a further understanding and awareness of how some vaccines are produced. And that will hopefully urge more of us who now know about it to do something about it and how these vaccines are produced. I hope that's one of the outcomes of this.
2: I couldn't agree more with you, Bob. I agree. I think that uh, this this um, whole uh, the coronavirus, one of the silver linings of the coronavirus and the, and the focus on the vaccines is precisely that. That I think more people will be aware of the fact that these abortion derived cell lines have been utilized for decades for the production of vaccines and. Um, again, in some cases, there's, there are some uh, alternatives, ethical alternatives. In some cases, like right now, rubella, chickenpox in the United States, there's, there are no ethical alternatives. Right. Um, but there are some that, for example, rubella, um, there is an ethical rubella vaccine in Japan. Uh, it's not currently allowed for importation, at least on a, on a mass uh, importation basis. But w- this is one of the things that we at the USCCB have been advocating for with the FDA over the last year, year and a half, is urging them to find a way to make available ethical vaccines that exist but aren't available currently in our country. Um, and, and so uh, this is a part of what the Vatican, the Holy See, has called us to do, uh, is to raise awareness about this connection, to take steps to, to advocate uh, for, uh, for the pharmaceutical industry, our government officials to um, uh, move away from use of these cell lines and find ethical cell lines that they can use in their place. And so that's what we've been doing. And we've been doing that with, the COVID, with COVID vaccines as well. We've been um, advocating um, with this, uh, the Trump administration and their Operation Warp Speed to Make sure that there are vaccines produced for COVID that have no connection to abortion, and and there are some in the pipeline. There's hmm. a couple of hundred uh, vaccines uh, proposals out there being produced in various stages of development, uh, but there are there are some, you know, in in clinical trials that at least what we know now um, have no connection whatsoever to um, these aborted fetal cell lines. So um, our hope is that they they will be um, uh, ultimately get across the finish line and provide additional um, alternatives. Now, the Pfizer and and Moderna, as we've talked about, um, were not uh, developed and they're not being produced using abortion-derived cell lines. But at some point in the process of of their Mm -hmm. uh, development, uh, a test was done to see if the vaccine would work as it's supposed to, and that test was done in an abortive fetal cell, uh, fetal mm-hmm. cell line. Mm-hmm. So it still has some connection, but at least it's not relying upon the uh, abortive fetal, fetal cell lines for ongoing production of the vaccine, which is kind of a, a whole other step of connection and reliance upon uh, the immoral cell
1: line so I guess in short that the, the 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 message is for those who produce these vaccines they are morally culpable in terms of if they were produced through illicit means but for the end user um, not so much so because in this case the connection to the uh, immoral act of abortion is so remote and then the health risks and uh, th- that there's no other ethical alternatives. I think the message from from right now is that, yes, it's morally permissible to take those with the duty and obligation that people should make it known that we need better ethical alternatives in the future.
2: That's exactly right. And, you know, we will do everything we can from the USCCB pro-life office to help facilitate people to take those actions. We're in the uh, just about ready to finalize uh, another short <laughs> question and answer kind of document um, to supplement the the long statement that we put out uh, a week ago. Um, in in so to give people um, basic information to answer the basic questions, but also give them some ideas of ways that they can protest uh, the use of these abortion derived cell lines. And in moving forward, we're going to do what we can to help. People to make their voices known, to continue to put pressure on pharmaceutical companies to move away from uh, these immoral cell lines and to thank them when they do. I mean, we've done two campaigns them. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. by them. we've done two campaigns now. Uh, GlaxoSmithKline uh, a year or two ago when they produced Shingrix, a shingles vaccine, ethically. It was the first one that was produced ethically. And then more recently, Sanofi Pasteur moved away from using the abortion-derived cell lines in the production of their polio vaccine. And so we did uh, uh, help mm-hmm. facilitate people to communicate their gratitude to these companies for moving away for, from uh, these these immoral cell lines. So we need to do all of these kinds of actions to push them away from use of, of immoral cell line.
1: The other thing I'll say, Greg, is I think your office has done a great job of trying to keep us informed here on the state level uh, all throughout the country about—this is a very tough topic. Um, It's very confusing for those of us who are kind of science-challenged and figuring uh, out—it takes a while to understand this, but I think we got it now. Um, The Catholic Conference of Illinois on Friday, the bishops put out a very brief statement, and basically it's referring. Uh, those interested to go to the, the, the document that USCCB put out on Monday the 14th I think you had indicated that um, your office is working on a concise question and answer uh, that, that, hopes, that, that you hope to come out with soon. Um, I read this morning that the Vatican, the Congregation for Doctrine of the Faith, is, is come out with some inter- more materials. So I guess, you know, from our perspective, we'd urge people to look at those materials that are produced by the Bishops' Conference and the Vatican. And a lot of other people have a lot of other opinions out there, and they are that, they're opinions. But if you want to go to the source, I think the sources are what I had just indicated—
2: exactly exactly and we're going've we've, we've got a place on our website um, uh, at uh, usccb.org forward slash pro-life um, under biomedical research where we've we've got uh, a variety of different um, vac- uh, vaccine related uh, resources from the statements we've put out the statements the Vatican has put out this is as you mentioned, they just put out uh, another statement. I haven't actually, I haven't yeah. actually seen the statement, but I read, an article. <laughs> yeah. I read an article about it, and it, it, it seems as though they're just reaffirming what they have said in the past. So they've spoken three times in the past, starting in 2005, um, and then and it, with a, a statement on the, the moral considerations on, on vaccines and their connection to these abortion-derived cell lines. Uh, in 2008, with uh, Dignitas Personae, uh, where they addressed a number of biomedical research issues, including uh, vaccines and their connection to abortion-derived cell lines. And then in 2017, they issued the Pontifical Academy for Life issued a statement related specific to a concern about uh, vaccines in Italy. And, and it looks as though what they've put out today, all of these um, say the same thing, that mm-hmm. in no way yeah. does use of these vaccines indicate any acquiescence whatsoever to abortion or to these cell lines that were produced immorally from the cells of abortions uh, but it's just as, as moral teaching in the church does it weighs the various uh, goods and bads together to determine in this particular cir- circumstance is it is it morally permissible and they use, the the analysis of cooperation, moral cooperation, to come to the conclusion that, again, for the end user, the person receiving the vaccine, our connection to that original immoral act of harvesting aborted fetal cells and creating a cell line decades ago, our connection to that as a, a recipient of a vaccine is so remote that it is morally permissible to do so, again, with the caveat there's no uh, ethical alternative, and the, the health risks are so serious as to warrant it. And then thirdly, to, that, that we're required to um, take actions to protest the use of these immoral cell lines and, and urge the pharmaceutical industry to move away from them and, and, and utilize um Ethical or produce ethical cell line, and the other the other good here of them doing this, of the pharmaceutical industry doing this, or the government pushing for this, is 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 a good public health reason, and that is you you have you have some people who, rightly so, will decide I am not going to utilize a vaccine because of this connection, even if the church says it's permissible. And so you've got a you've got a number of uh, you know potentially thousands or tens of thousands of people who, in conscience, um, and the Vatican says in this latest statement that one can make that dis- that conscientious decision, you know, will not get the vaccine. So mm-hmm. you know, why would you, as a as a government or pharmaceutical industry, you know, utilize something that's going to limit the number of people who use the vaccine that you produce? Right. So it's, it's incumbent upon them and 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 the and, and public health. To eliminate any possible reasons that people would feel hesitant to utilize a vaccine. Now, in the Vatican statement today, they, they do say that those who you know choose not to get vaccinated on issue, for reasons of conscience do have a separate obligation then to take other steps to to protect the most vulnerable who cannot get vaccinated or otherwise at high risk for getting the uh, the coronavirus. So good. There are obligations obligations there, too.
1: Greg, thanks so much. Uh, Very good information. Go to that website, go to our website, uh, catholicconferenceofillinois.org, or ilcatholic.org, or the USCCB Pro-Life for that further information. Thanks so much for taking some time. Very good explanation, Greg. And uh, please, have a Merry Christmas, uh, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thanks, Bob. Merry Take care. Christmas to you and yep. your
2: family, too.
1: Take care. Don't go away, everybody. We'll come back right back with uh, Kevin Grillo. He's going to tell us about the March for Life Chicago. We'll be right back.
3: Catholic Charities Divine Affair home tasting parties are going virtual. This year marks the 20th anniversary of Divine Affair, the elegant wine tasting event that benefits our self-sufficiency programs. Low income single parents with dependent children are trying to break the cycle of welfare and poverty. Today the need is greater than ever as the COVID-19 pandemic has left thousands of newly struggling families in need of immediate assistance. You can easily coordinate a virtual wine tasting and help Catholic charities at the same time. Each guest will enjoy a sample wine kit that includes wine and a guide, all courtesy of Lewis Glenn's Wines. You can gather your friends and family for this fun event or incorporate a celebration for a birthday, anniversary or engagement at the same time. To learn more about a virtual home tasting party and how you and your guests can win fabulous raffle prizes, call today at 773-756-6937. That's 773-756-6937. Cheers.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and uh, with us today, like I said, we're going to change directions here a little bit. We're going to talk to Kevin Grillo. He is the executive director of We Dignify, and he is quarterbacking or heading up uh, the March for Life Chicago this year. Coming up, gosh, it's going to be soon. I can't believe it. Kevin, you with us?
4: Yes, it's great to be here, Bob. Hey, how th- you th- doing?
1: Uh, great, great. Um, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, tell us a little bit what you got going on here. Uh, <laughs> you got a lot going on, so you're. You're branching it. The March for Life is growing. It's growing all over the Midwest.
4: Yeah, it's a very exciting time. Yeah, A little interesting time, as everyone is saying. But I'm so stoked for this year. But, (laughs) I mean, because, like, nine years ago, this event, the March for Chicago, was about 150 people. I know. And it was on a sidewalk. Yep. And then in in a matter of eight years, we grew. Last year, 9,000 people pouring down Michigan Avenue.
1: In the snow and rain.
4: Yeah, it's always different. lovely weather for us. Yeah, right. It's always good <laughs> it's, weather, right. You get a little extra sacrifice in uh, <laughs> for it. Uh, but I, So when we set out to plan this year, of course, I mean, we had a convention that we were hoping 500 people would come last year and 2,000 people poured in and it was overflowing. So the energy and the attraction is there, and people are coming from across the Midwest. And so it, it grew from this Chicago event to all over the Midwest. So we looked at this year and we were like, well. How are we going to do that? We can't pour 2,000 people into a convention center right now. Yeah. yeah some unique challenges. But the thing is, we into, We are committed to continuing to help foster this grow. So we launched in the beginning of the fall the Move in the Movement Tour. So instead of the entire Midwest coming to us this year, we're going to the Midwest. And I think my wife thinks I'm a little bit crazy for this, but we we are so committed to getting the message out there and the pro life message in doing so And having public events, we're doing different drive-in rallies and then car caravans through major downtown locations. So every weekend in January, we have something going on. In fact, our first one is less than two weeks away. We start January 2nd in Madison.
1: So when I was a kid, I remember uh, friends of mine had T-shirts of concerts they went to with like like rock bands. And they would say, you know, say like uh, January 3rd, Los Angeles, like Fleetwood Mac. And they would show the, like the, pa- the, the, the location and they would just have the dates and, and the city they played in. I'm looking at your list of sites. Maybe you guys should do that, like your concert tour. So January 2nd, you're in Madison. Then you go to Des Moines on the 9th of January. Then the 10th, it's Omaha. The 16th is Fort Wayne. You go to Mundelein, Illinois on the 17th. Got Indianapolis on the 22nd and Chicago on the 23rd. You should have like a little, you know, Kevin Greelo concert tour thing or March for Life concert tour. So so tell us, like, if people want to get involved with this, I mean, I, I think we should probably. So, what is it? What are you going to do? Because I don't know if people understand exactly what sure, How does what it, it work? What, yeah, what is it?
4: Everyone's kind of wondering. We've been doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm for wondering years. too. How does it work? <laughs> I've heard it. <laughs> so, we have with this, we want to give the capability of involvement all over, but also in different capacities. So, the first thing you do is, you, you buy some diapers. We're doing a diaper drive for 130,000 diapers, which is connected to, in the Midwest, annually, there are 130,000 mm. abortions. So we're giving one diaper, and then each stop, you can pick. You can you can do it online ahead of time, and then we'll do a mass order of diapers, and you can pick which stop or local pregnancy resource center you want them to go towards, uh, so whatever stop you would like, or you can bring them a the day of. So if you've ever done a Walmart grocery pickup, or you go on, you know, you've gotten, gotten groceries delivered to your trunk. This is kind of the inverse of that. You have your diapers in the trunk. We'll go okay. ahead and collect them for you when you come to the stop. Then you're still going to get great, awesome, exciting pro-life speakers at the rally at a parking lot. But so you, you can do a caravan ahead of time. Several groups are meeting up with their their church in a parking lot and then driving over. And if you want to do that, we can actually ship you. Uh, signs to put up in your windows and make it very visible because we this is another way many people have bring awesome signs to march in this way that you can show them the whole drive all the way there you hear the speakers you have the rally and then we hit the road and we go through public square this way just in our vehicles and so we'll have this massive drive and these different stops Throughout very visible locations in each city,
1: and in Chicagoland, there's looks like there's two. There's one on January seventeenth that's going to be up in Mundelein. I think that's at Carmel High School, and then the twenty third is going to be in Chicago at Soldier Field. Is that the location? What? How are you guys? Uh, what? What if people want to go? What should they do?
4: Sure. The first thing is go to marchforchicago and register for the stop you want to go to. There you can just pick out multiple stops or the same one. That way you're Getting the most up-to-date information, and you're right. The, the, there is a January seventeenth for the suburbs option up in Mundeline. and some great speakers, including Linda Curry, mm. uh, and and many more. You can check out the website. We'll have the whole list there. Oh, good. Okay. And it will be stacked. Uh, we're dropping that one month out, so that's coming up. So
1: if and you're in your car, there's a speaker, I take it, it's what, on the radio? Or this person has a really loud voice? Or how does that work?
4: <laughs> <laughs> Not the really loud voice. This might be a little different experience because even if it is raining or snowing, yeah. yeah, you will be in your car. You'll have a roof over your head. Ah. you will be transmitting uh, the through different, so you'll tune in on your radio.
1: Ah, so you can stay dry and warm in a way, too.
4: Oh, yeah. yeah. For the Southeast, about like you, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right.
1: I need my creature comforts.
4: Well, I think the thing is that the Chicago has developed on a weekend, so we have lots of families that come. Yes. And we have lots of people that can't take off of work for right. multiple days, but they want to come. So you can fill up your household in your car and yep. come on over, and then you can just tune in.
1: In that capacity. And so there'll be signs and things like that you'll get and you will have some speakers and what is the program? Like an, is it an hour or is it even that long or how? how Not long? even that long. Good.
4: We recommend, yeah. <laughs> <Short>. we understand <laughs> Whether right. you're standing outside or you're in your car, yeah. you get over, it's, program is going to be between 30 and 40 minutes before that's you hit perfect. the
1: road. That's perfect. And then so it's a visible witness about the concern for human life. That it's the same kind of thing that's done downtown but just in a different format. I I think you know the one thing that this crazy pandemic is we we have to be versatile. We have to we have to be able to shift and uh do things differently. And you know this is just a different form of witness to the but it's the same cause. Um and it'll be the same that that march that you've uh, had going underway. I mean, I think it's been very successful, and it's a great event. It's a great day's event. But this can just be equally as as, as rewarding, just in a different way.
4: Well, I, I think one of the beautiful things is that we continue... The march has grown under the idea that people come, they get a joy and hope from seeing so many other people. Right. And you're still going to be able to see people in their cars
5: <laughs>
6: next yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah,
4: Those cars will be parked six feet apart. Sure. And but that... they, you're still going to have that experience, which... The March Chicago is known for, the, the energy, the excitement, yep. young people. We're going yep. to high schools when high schools can't come to us. Right. So and still,
1: and okay. I understand at Carmel there's a there's – there's a if the weather is permissible, oh. there is a way to get outside a little bit if, if, if that's possible. Apparently there's a big open space there or something.
4: Yeah, there's some spacing available at Carmel. Okay. That location. Chicago, we actually – so Chicago has been giving us a, a tough challenge, as you might imagine. No. Uh, we, All right. As you were mentioning, commitment to principle, for sure, and then finding ways to achieve that mission. Mm-hmm. And we've always had a public event, and it's always been – I mean, we moved locations from a Thompson Center, Federal yeah, Plaza, right. Daily Plaza. All of those plazas have rejected our attempts for permits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, even with extensive guidelines recommended and, and some procedures developed in place. So, in fact, the last one was just rejected on, on Friday. So we'll, we'll be announcing uh, after Christmas – uh, the week after okay. Christmas, we'll be announcing exactly what's happening in Chicago. But you got to imagine, I mean, we've been able to build this up, and we know Cook County and Chicago, we couldn't just walk away from that.
5: Right. This tour
4: is all over the place. We understand the Midwest, but Chicago is the heart of where we got started, but it's also the, the heart of the need in the Midwest. It is. It's yep. the worst place for an unborn child to be. In the Midwest. Yeah, the, County, the numbers city. are staggering.
1: So, Kevin, um, one last time. If people are interested, how do they find out more about it?
4: okay
1: and sign up. Great. Kevin, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. He's the director of We Dignify, and they are now the, uh, the organization that is leading quarterbacking With a lot of audibles, to keep using the football metaphor, uh, the March for Life Chicago, not only Chicago, but Midwest this year. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Decoy, everybody, we're right back. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk to, I think it's Louis. L-O-U-I-S. Could be Louis. Louis Jones. He's uh, in the Diocese of Belleville, and he was recently named the uh, 2020 Cardinal Bernadine uh, New Leadership Award winner for his work with the Catholic Campaign on Human Development. Go away, we'll be right back.
3: Charity's After Supper Visions program offers guests of our Tuesday night supper the opportunity to learn the art of photography. These talented guests, who are often experiencing homelessness, are offered disposable digital cameras and they work with volunteer professional photographers to learn the basics of taking photos. Then the artists go out and capture images on film of anything they find to be beautiful or interesting in the world. Their photos are amazing. Visit aftersuppervisions.com to learn more about the artists and their artwork. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn too. At After Supper Visions, we are developing film, talent, and hope. It has been inspiring to see how individuals, families, and communities have found ways to help one another throughout 2020. At Catholic Charities, we usually have 35 to 40 events a year where we gather and enjoy time together in support of important programs and services, while raising critical funds that allow us to respond to the growing number of people who are in need of the most basic necessities in life. Many of our events are now virtual. If you would like to be a sponsor for one of these events, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Also, visit us at catholiccharities.net slash events and follow us on social media too. We so look forward to when we can resume our events in person and reconnect with our friends and partners throughout Chicagoland. For now, please consider donating to Catholic Charities so our vital work can continue. Thousands of people in Chicago count on Catholic Charities every day. Please help us help them today. Learn more at catholiccharities.net.
0: You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. Every Monday through Friday from 8 AM to 9 AM, the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago.
1: Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and welcome back to our program uh, here on this Monday, uh, December twenty-first. Boy, it's only like four or five days for Christmas. I've Better get going. Uh, thanks for uh, listening to our program this morning. And uh, our next guest is an interesting uh, development here. His name is Lewis Jones. He won the national. Uh, CCHD award. Actually, it's called the Cardinal Joseph Bernadine Award uh, for his work um, with the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. And he comes to us from uh, far south of here in Belleville, Illinois. Lewis, are you with us? Can you hear me? You are gone. I know he was here a second ago. Sorry that uh, we temporarily uh, lost our connection with Lewis, but I can just tell you a little bit about his background. He is a very young man. He's uh, only 27 years old, and he was uh, awarded the Cardinal Joseph Bernadine Award For his work with the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, and basically what they do is they go into uh, low-income areas and do anti-poverty programs. And uh, he's an interesting man in that he's 27 years old, and uh, albeit a native of uh, Lewis, you with us? Yeah,
6: yeah. Sorry, I got cut off some mail.
1: That's okay. That's okay. I was just going through your life story. I was. I was. (laughs) I, I, I stopped. I got to age two. Oh, wow, great. <laughs> so thanks for taking some time and joining us this morning. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the award that you received.
6: Yeah, so um, thank you for having me on the show Yeah, today. glad and to do it. It's a great blessing for me to have received this award. I truly feel like you know, there's so many people doing work on this issue. Mm-hmm. But the, basically, this is an award, the Cardinal Bernardine New Leadership Award uh, from CCHD and the USCCB. It's to identify people who are work leaders, young leaders between the ages of eighteen and forty, who are doing work to address uh, poverty in the United States, um, and and using that as a tool for the new evangelization. So this is kind of the over, overview of the award, I guess.
1: What, what what? Tell us why did you get the award? I mean, what what were the specific <laughs> things that you were engaged in?
6: Yeah, best looking,
1: I know, but outside of yeah. that.
6: So um, uh, I've been involved with the Catholic Campaign for Human Development for the past around two and a half, almost three years at this point. Um, I started out as an intern with them for the Diocese of Belleville and then the Archdiocese of St. Louis, and also did work kind of with the organizations affiliated with them, a lot of young adult programming and outreach. And um, I'm also now at the uh, Archdiocese of St. Louis, the board of directors there for Catholic Charities. Um, and so I guess, uh, to be honest, I feel like, you know, the work that I've been doing is really just work that I've done in collaboration with so many others. The work of CCHD is, again, not a single-person effort, but in yeah. Southern Illinois, I work with a great person, Cheryl Summer, sure. who does amazing work on no the wow. ground all the time. She's, yeah, she's a, she's been a great mentor to me, walking me through that process in the art of St. Louis. I was working with their policy uh, lobbying office while I was doing my work with CCHD. Again, Mm -hmm. amazing person there, Tamara Kinney, who led me through every step of the way. So truly, I don't, you know, honestly, everything I've done, I've been doing in collaboration with others, even at Catholic Charities in other capacities, even with my work with young adults. You know, there's so many young adult ministers who are coordinating that, facilitating that. So I really always use this as an opportunity to raise up the amazing work that many people are doing to excite young adults about fighting poverty as a part of their Catholic faith to actually do the work on the ground, working with uh, low-income organizations that CCHD does, low-income economic development and community development organizations that are really empowering people and living out the Catholic social doctrine of subsidiarity through empowering people to come up with their own solutions, um, all in conformity with uh, Catholic social teaching.
1: Lewis, you know, are you, your CCHC, you're a young man, uh, you're— Graduate work—you're doing your master's, I think, in social work—and and, and yeah. you've been involved with this now for a couple of years. Um, and and St. Louis is a is a, is a, there's areas of tough St. Louis. That's that can be a tough town. Um, (laughs) I mean, it is there's some significant levels of of poverty in East St. Louis and and St. Louis area. What 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 do you think is the uh, if if you can answer this, you'll be a zillionaire. I mean, what do you you think is this was the thing that that population needs most to help them? And it's not so much being poor in terms of lacking money, but I think there's just so many other things that go around in these areas where it just seems like there's no hope.
6: Yeah, well, and I do some of my research on this topic as well. Um, Really, my – and everyone has different perspectives. I do not have the answers like you were (laughs) alluding to. Um, But my whole idea is you have to give people opportunity, and I mean tangible opportunity. A lot of people say, hey, well, people could just drive over to this other part of town. People could just drive over, do this. People could just go get a college degree. People can just do all these things. And when you really look at the lived experience of people who are low-income, people who are in poverty, it's that's that's simply not addressing the reality of of those experiences. I mean, there's tons of research on these questions, but
5: mm-hmm.
6: one of the big things is, you know, as as Catholic as Catholics, we have uh, uh, the duty to pursue economic justice. And what that really means is we have to take the Catholic doctrine and look at it as it as it relates to concrete economic issues. If you go into a community, and especially a place like St. Louis, so let's say let's look at St. Louis. St. Louis is highly stratified as it relates to income. You have it very is. wealthy areas yes. of St. Louis and St. Louis County. You have very poor areas. If you look at a map. And if you look at that map, you'll see exactly where those areas are in North mm-hmm. St. Louis County, East St. Louis, which is on the Illinois side, um, and St. Louis City. And those areas are also extremely, you know, minority-centric populations. Right? These are mostly
5: mm-hmm. uh,
6: African American sure. populations, and. When you look at the opportunities, if you just drive through North St. Louis County and you see these these buildings falling apart, you see this you see the school systems, which are, again, some of the worst school districts in the United States and, and definitely in the state of Missouri. And you're like, these people do not have the same opportunities that someone in West County, St. Louis County, does. We have schools that are super nice, have swimming pools, all types of. Stuff. Yeah, sure. so it's about it's about giving people concrete opportunities for hope. So what CCHD does to that end is it gives people this resources to create solutions because every. A single environment has its own particular issues. Mm-hmm. And some issues are really dealing with I've lived in North St. Louis City after um during the time the uprising in Ferguson, Ferguson I was right. I was there present. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things I always remember I stepped outside of my house one day in, St. Louis, in North St. Louis City and there were gunshots often there at night. I stepped outside and I just saw these houses falling apart and I saw people every every morning getting up and going to work, coming out of a house that was next to a house literally crumbling into the yeah. ground. Yeah. And you're like, wow, this is – no human being should live like this. Yeah. Um, and so I think that just Catholics just should have their conscience pricked on that, on that topic and think about it deeply and look at our Catholic social doctrine. You know, we have a lot of uh, solutions there.
1: I, I think there are a lot of Catholics who are legitimately concerned and want to help. I, I do. I don't think it's lack of of desire. Or want I think like a lot of things, it's people just don't know how to channel that that desire. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that's that's a that I, I hear. I, I think it's just a common thing. You know, people are busy and that kind of thing. And if they're going to do something, they want to. Be able to do something that they know is going to result in an, in an outcome um, yeah. and and do something that uh, is going to benefit another person and I think yeah. I, I think that's what I hear you saying is CCHD does have some of those types of opportunities available to people
6: And one of the most important things is you know we can't go into communities solving the issues of communities right. <laughs> that we don't belong to you know to be honest that's the some challenge, of the issues right? yeah some of the issues in these communities are issues that they know best and that they're able to understand best. And you do have groups working to solve issues on all sides, whether it relates to gun violence, whether it's economic opportunity, whether it's the mm-hmm. uh, you know criminal justice issues, all types of things. People are working on this issue. So what Catholics can do is they can learn about the issues. That's actually a good step. Yeah, like, exactly. Just take time to research. And because a lot of times we have different opinions, right? There's not sometimes some of these issues are not one size fits all. There's one solution. There's one answer. There's a lot of ways you can approach issues. Within Catholic social doctrine, we have a lot of brevity as it relates to Mm -hmm. direct policy solutions. And so we're going to disagree, and that's what I really invite Catholics to do. Have more conversations in Catholic spaces about these topics. Don't, don't make this space where everyone has to conform to the same view. People are not going to have the same view, nor should they have the same view. We need different perspectives. Some people will say, hey, it's not an issue of opportunity. It's an issue of, of this or this. And so there's yeah, many different things. The structure of the family
1: that, is a big topic, too. Yes, yeah, of course. Right. And that
6: is, of course. And as Catholic social doctrine, like the foundation of that is the family. Exactly. You know, the strong family.
1: families make for strong communities, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct.
6: yeah the, the, you know, for families, this is mm-hmm. the first line of defense for, for a mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, children are the people who suffer the most in families right. that are in poverty. You know they have had no control over the situation, and often they're the ones who lack. You know, them the opportunities for upward mobility later. So it's a cycle. So this is why we have to understand that when we when we intervene with with communities, and I'm also a social worker. So when we when mm-hmm. work with communities, um, you know, we and with families, we have to be aware that. There's so many things that we may have seen uh, that we may not be able to see that have affected this family or this system or this community, and so we have to have the humility to ask them their experience, to understand it from their perspective, in order to approach it in a way that's that's going to serve them best.
1: You're very articulate. Um, Twenty-seven years old. Uh, working on your master's. You're a New Yorker though by by birth, right?
6: I was born in New York, and also quick. So correction, was I correction. Um, that uh, article that says I'm 27 is incorrect. I'm actually 26. <laughs> but that <Hey>. article, <laughs> did say that. but um, yeah, pretty soon you'll New be York.
1: arguing more or less than 26. Uh, yeah,
6: exactly. <laughs> uh, I was born in, in New York. Um, I was born in Good Manhattan, um, and from there, that's when I got my kind of, I guess you could say, starting this in terms of my family. You know, my mom and my godmother and my my father all really worked to create a space for people with HIV/AIDS who are homeless. My dad uh, has AIDS. And uh, my godfather, who passed away, uh, Willie Reyes, had AIDS as well. Um, and so this, they created a space. You know, it was a live-in mm-hmm. space. It was a very well-known community called Stand Up Harlem, and from there, I kind of got my start, if you will, again, in, in just being aware of how people mm-hmm. on the margins sure. really are impacted disproportionately by many issues.
1: Great. Great. God bless you. That's great. Um, we haven't met, but I, I do look forward to meeting you someday. And uh, oh, best yeah. of best <laughs> of luck in your uh, work. Uh, boy, you got your work cut out. I mean, um, <laughs> but but um, uh, it's nice to see a young man um, get that kind of award and um, and and hopefully uh, you can make uh, some 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 changes.
6: Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank
1: you, thanks, Louis. Uh, don't go away, everybody. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference. Uh, thanks, Louis, for joining us here to talk a little bit about his award and his work in Belleville and uh, East St. Louis, St. Louis area. Uh, don't go away. We're gonna right back. Uh, the conclusion of our show. We're gonna we're gonna save the best for last. Glenn Van Cura, who is the uh, director of Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Juliet, is leaving us. He's gonna talk a little bit about some of his experiences over the last couple of years and where he's going. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
3: Catholic Charities staff members work every day to end poverty and homelessness. We do this on a one-to-one basis with anyone who asks for help. We also work with organizations who study these issues across our city, state, and nation. The Wilson Sheehan Lab for Economic Opportunities, or LEO, at the University of Notre Dame is one of these research centers. Through our partnership with LEO, Catholic Charities has gained valuable insights into scientific evaluation methods that determine the most effective interventions to help people avoid poverty and homelessness. Along with our experience and compassion, Trusted Research is helping Catholic Charities offer hope and so much more to anyone in need. For more information, visit catholiccharities.net.
0: We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Cupich and video highlights from across the archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson.
1: Catholic churches respond as the need to feed the hungry surges in the COVID-19 pandemic. Pope Francis's new encyclical and the call for mutual respect for all cultures. And a local priest ready to run even when the Chicago Marathon is canceled.
0: Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and thanks for listening to our show here on this uh, week of Christmas. Only a couple days to go, Um, so get your online shopping done, I guess, is the theme of uh, this uh, situation we're in with the pandemic. Uh, So here we are uh, with um, our final guest of the show. We have on the line with us a gentleman who's been on before. His name is Glenn Van Cura. He is the Executive Director of Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Joliet, just west of us, and... Unfortunately, he is leaving us for maybe greener pastures. We'll find out. Glenn, are you with us?
7: Yes, I am. Bob. Good
1: morning. Hey, good morning, uh, Glenn. Thanks for taking some time to uh, to talk to us this morning. And unfortunately, as we as I had indicated, you are going to uh, do a bit of a transition in life. I suppose it is. Um, you are going to be leaving your post as director of Catholic Charities in Joliet, which you've held for gosh, it's been ten years or something like that. I think. Yeah, that's right, Bob. That's amazing. Yeah. And. Uh, Unlike other guys who go play golf or uh, just watch the sunrise or go move to Florida, <laughs> you're going to Korea. Tell us what you're going to be doing next.
7: Okay, Bob. Uh, yes, um, I'm still going to be working for the church. Um, I'm going to be working as a professor at the Catholic Kwandong University in South Korea, and that happens to be the, the town uh, that I was in the Peace Corps with uh, back a bunch of years ago. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that to still be working with the Church, and I'll be working as a professor in the International Relations Department.
1: And so it's not everybody that's left the post at Catholic Charities that went off to Korea. Um, most do what I've described. They either go somewhere else, or they, they kind of take it easy. But you're, you're not exactly in the taking it easy type of, of, of mode, I think. Your whole career has kind of been like that. You you had a corporate career, and then you you, you, you ended that because you wanted to work for the Church and serve people in this capacity.
7: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I graduated college, I um I really just wanted to help people. Uh, it was the idealistic time in the 70s, and I said, you know, I'm not up for a job right now. I really wanted to, to go out and sure. see what I could do to help people.
1: So, yeah. And so that's when you went to the Peace Corps. Uh, you went to the Peace Corps out of college. That's correct. Yes. And then you were stationed—you were in Korea for what? Was it a two-year stint you did, or is that uh, what they yeah, usually— I did, are?
7: Yes, it was two years.
1: Okay. And now you're going back to the actually the same place you were in when you were in the Peace Corps.
7: Right, I've been through the years, I've still remained in contact with my friends and my students and my Korean family that I lived with. So, um they suggested it and I said, "Boy, what a great idea that would be." So, um uh they arranged everything with the the uh, president of the university, and it received approval by the local bishop and the board of directors. And uh, I'll be going end of January, beginning of February.
1: I think your story, Glenn, is an interesting one because, as you indicated, you you when you, when you graduated from college, you did a stint in the Peace corps, but then you came back and you worked in the you worked in sort of the, the corporate world for a long time. I mean, you, that was your a big part of your career. But you left that as well, and then you 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 went back and didn't you intern at Catholic Charities in Chicago?
7: I did absolutely. You were were not
1: in your 20s when you did this internship. No, I was You were the oldest intern I think I've ever heard of.
7: (laughs) (laughs) And it was a great experience, uh, really. Um, uh, Monsignor Boland and Kathy Donahue at the Catholic Charities in Chicago. Uh, they interned me, and then afterwards, they were kind enough to offer me a position uh, where I was the Northwest Regional Director. That's that where we met. For three I
1: remember when I met you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think we met at a reception, a cocktail reception in Springfield, when you had introduced yourself, and you were the North, the Northwest Side guy for Catholic Charities or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And from there, you went off to Joliet for the stint of ten years.
7: Right, yeah, and that's where I'm at right now. So it's uh, it, it's been a great uh, experience, uh, just a fabulous experience. Uh, we've helped so many people in Joliet. And, uh, you know, everything from uh, affordable housing to mobile food pantries to early childhood services. And uh, even uh, w- when I started, Bob, you'll remember that was at the time of civil unions. I and, remember uh, that. Yeah. yeah, we spent a lot of time together along with the uh, Thomas yeah. More Society. Yeah. Right,
1: right. So what what attracts you to go back to Korea? I mean, after all these years, do, do, do you notice um, you went back, I'm sure, to talk to folks? Is I'm sure things have changed considerably. Um Tell us a little bit about wh- wh- why you're going to go back there and, and what the differences were in the past since you've been there last.
7: Oh, my goodness. When I was there in the Peace Corps, it was a very, very poor country. Uh, this is South Korea, correct? This is South Korea, yes, mm-hmm. definitely. In fact, my my town is right by the 38th parallel. Really? Uh, beautiful. And actually, this is the town that hosted the 2018 Winter Olympics. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, to show you how far they have come in... Well, relatively short period of time. I think they're like the twelfth largest economy in the world now, too.
1: Yeah, and so you're going to be teaching what subjects again?
7: Well, I'll be teaching because I have an MBA in MSW, so I'm going to and working in the international uh, relations department. I'm going to be teaching uh, social work classes as uh, well as some business classes too.
1: And it's worth to point out, you speak Korean.
7: I do, yeah. That, that was one of the requirements that you had to do when you're in the Peace Corps. We had in-country training for four months. We had six hours a day, right. uh, five days a week. So,
1: And that, that's what you spent two years doing. So um, in terms of who you'll be teaching, what, what will be American students or these K- Korean nationals?
7: Uh, there'll be a mixture of both. It won't be American. Uh, It'll be international students, so it could be American, and I'll be teaching in English,
1: though. <laughs> oh, you'll be teaching think. in English, so that'll be helpful. Yes, I will. Yeah, 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 and and it's international. So then, after that point in time, um, you you you. It's a year-to-year type of contract situation. I take it.
7: Yeah, that's correct.
1: Yeah, yeah it's a year contract. Well, Glenn, um, I, I, we hate to see you go uh, here in in Illinois. It, it's been it's been a good, long, productive ten years. Uh, I think you've done some great things with uh, the, the Catholic Charities program out there in in Joliet. But you know, there's always challenges. Um, those will never go away. So um, I think you had indicated that you're gonna you're gonna keep your home here. You'll go back and forth for a while. So um, we hope that you uh, can maintain contact with folks here. And um, best of luck to you in the future. And um, if I'm ever in Korea, I'll knock on your door. <laughs> oh, <I'm,
2: laughs> which I, I
1: look expect. forward to it. Bob. <laughs> I, I, I yeah don't, don't 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 expect me. I don't. There's a couple of places I need to get to before I uh, launch off in Korea. <laughs>
7: <laughs> Glenn, do,
1: sir. Glenn, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning to join us this morning. Okay, my right, pleasure. Merry Bob. Christmas. Best to you. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And thanks, um, everybody, for joining us here this morning. Um, we had a very interesting show with uh, uh, Greg Shepman Black t- talking a little bit about the, uh, the vaccines. I want to just close the show by mentioning that uh, it was a very uh, busy, hectic weekend, and we'll be getting more details uh, about this out later. But um, over the weekend, we were successful, uh, we think, in um, maintaining some funding in the COVID stimulus package that that is going to pass, um, it appears that as of last uh, notice that we had over the weekend that there'll be about $2.5 billion in that stimulus package to protect uh, uh, some of the expenses that we've had with uh, non-public schools, with Catholic schools. So we're very grateful uh, for the work of the Bishops', Bishop's Conference and everybody, uh, many people from Chicago had uh, participated in in advocating that that money be in there. Um, I know it's a very expensive package and it's very controversial, but um, we are grateful that we're able to get that amount of spending in there. This is the same package that people will be talking about today where there will be approximately $600 per person Depending on your income level, uh, will be direct disbursements to individuals going out. Um, I don't know when that's going to be, sometime in January, I suppose, uh, from the Treasury uh, based on your income level. So, uh, Many things uh, were funded, Uh, many things were not. Uh, We're certain that Congress is going to have its hands full when it comes back next year in dealing with the two issues that were not part of this agreement, and those two issues were uh, the Republicans' request for liability protections for businesses who uh, maybe have suits brought against them for spread of coronavirus in their facilities. That's a big issue with the Republicans, and the Democrats wanted some uh, protections, some funding, Uh, for state and local governments who have seen expenditures in order to protect from the uh, extra amount of uh, money that they've had to put forth to protect their, uh, their, their balanced budgets. There's a lot of things that went into this uh, package. Um, it's it's too numerous to all to go into, but I think one of the things that people were also most concerned about was the uh, unemployment insurance and whether uh, that would be continued or not. And it appears that Congress has done that. That they are in the process of making uh, unemployment insurance extended. Um, that was supposed to expire at the end of the year, and that's going to go for another uh, couple weeks. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to be off top ahead, of and the controversial uh, uh, stipend above that has been reduced from, I think it was $600 a week that individuals were getting, and that will be lowered to about $300 per week additional stipend in order to keep people going. Just reading the chatter over the weekend, I know there's a lot of people concerned that uh, the allegations of how much money is going to each uh, entity is always controversial. Um, but I can tell you, at least from our perspective, we are grateful that uh, the PPP loan was also extended and um that's going to be in a different format than it was this time and i don't know how many catholic entities are going to be able to uh to be able to take advantage of the ppp loan but i do know That uh, some of us will, but that money for the schools was the thing that we were probably most interested in over the weekend. And uh, like I said, we're grateful to all the members of the congressional delegation and uh, the uh, Illinois senators for their advocacy on it uh, over the weekend. It was very uh, hectic, and a lot of work went into that thing, so we're glad that's probably behind us. Looking to next year, uh, the calendar is still open-ended in terms of Springfield. uh, The calendar was released for at least the Senate. Um, And what the Illinois State General Assembly will take up uh, at this point in time is really widely unknown, Um, but we're thinking they're probably going to start with some measures on police accountability and criminal justice reform. That will be the topic of conversation for at least the first couple of weeks. And after that, um, who knows where we go? Obviously, there's a lot of uh, challenges um, on the House side with the controversy surrounding Speaker Madigan and how that all gets ironed out. We uh, will remain to be seen. So we will be involved with all of that and more at the state level uh, and on the federal level. And uh, we look forward to talking about those topics in the uh, coming months ahead. And so with that, we'll call a 2020 show to an end. It's amazing uh, how uh, time has flown by here and snuck up on us. And uh, so we're grateful for the opportunity to come on these airwaves and um, do our little bit to educate people on some of the issues that we're dealing with. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference, and thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, And we will be back on the third Monday in the month of January in 2021. So let's hope uh, for a better 2021. Let's hope for the end to the coronavirus situation. Let's all hope and pray for healthy vaccines that get out there uh, and get distributed promptly. And so there's no issues out there with the distribution of those vaccines. And uh, everybody has a healthy and safe 2021. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Like I said, we'll be back on the third Monday in the month of January. Take care and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.
0: Join us every Monday
1: through Friday at this
0: time for Catholic Chicago. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.